On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Fuchsia. And Fuchsia is a co-parent with an entitled emotionally abusive narcissist. It's a story of fear, tantrums, counterparenting, court, custody, and the abuser's narcissistic girlfriend. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and with me today, we have Fuchsia. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am well. Thank you for asking. And if you want to be a guest like Fuchsia is today, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on this button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. There you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button. And please do send it in the format that we ask for. And today you're going to hear Fuchsia's story. And it's a little bit different because Fuchsia was not in a relationship with the abuser in this story. And it's pretty much a story of post-birth abuse because they had a child together. And it's unusual also in the sense that the abuser's girlfriend is heavily involved in this story as well, and she is an abuser as well. And you will hear a lot about court and custody and everything that she was going through, including the emotional abuse that was happening, rages, tantrums. And I just want to thank Fuchsia for being here with us today. And now I'm going to get out of my way and your way. Fuchsia, the floor is now yours. Thank you. And thanks for having me. Um, a little short background of me. I'm originally from upstate New York. And I came from a large family with six children. Um, I had what I consider to be a very loving, supportive upbringing. Um, through childhood, through college, up till now. I'm very close with my family still. I've established a really wonderful support system of friends here that I am immensely grateful for. And so my story today really does not start until the second quarter of my life. Um, when I moved south about nine years ago, I am now a single mom to an almost two-year-old toddler. And I've been learning to navigate um, highly contentious and emotionally abusive relationship with the father of my child and his current partner. And I'm just hoping that my story can connect with other single parents going through similar situations with uh, co-parenting or facing harassment uh, through the court system. And I'm definitely not an expert by any means, but there's so much that people don't tell you going into these situations. And it can feel really isolating too. So maybe my story will just be enough where other people know that they're not alone. And your story, eventually people will hear that the partner of your abuser plays a, a giant role. So before we get to that, where did you uh, meet this person and how did the relationship begin? So I originally met uh, my child's father on Bumble. <laughs> I was just trying the dating scene online. Um, the first date, and this was 
like six, seven years ago. Can't remember the timeline exactly, but first date he asked me out on, I stood him up in a way. I We planned it. I didn't want to go um, getting closer to the date. I let him know I wasn't coming. It was not that big of a deal, but um, so it kind of sizzled out from there. He ended up falling into a relationship with somebody else for a while, a serious relationship. We had followed each other on online, like social media. He continued uh, over time to keep pursuing me in ways like online, liking pictures, commenting on stories and things like that. But it was clear that he was in a relationship with somebody. I didn't really know him. So I either didn't answer or was very short with the answers, like just kind of wondering why is, why is this guy reaching out to me? You know, he's clearly in a relationship with somebody. Um, after a few years, that seemed to end. You know, those pictures got deleted. He reached out saying that they had broken up, asked me to go on another date with him to make up for the one that I had stood him up on, which I agreed at the time. Um, I remember the first, we met at like a brewery and it was strange. He was difficult to talk to. Like it was like talking to cardboard. <laughs> I remember um, he was, I thought that I intimidated him. He was very quiet. And it was just hard to get a conversation going. And that was my first impression. Like, maybe I'm just overwhelming him or he's nervous. Um, later, I kind of realized it was more like arrogance and like a feeling of superiority that he had. Like, I wasn't interesting enough to him to like continue the conversations. But at the time, I didn't know him. So we went on like very casual dates on and off for a few weeks both made it very clear we were not looking for a long-term relationship. It sizzled out over time. Like I said, he was just very difficult to talk to. I didn't really enjoy my time with him. Um, and it just was boring. So I, uh, things sizzled out. We had slept together a couple times, a very casual situation. Um, about a month went by where we had not talked to each other. I kind of stopped responding to his text messages um, didn't seem like a big deal, but I started having symptoms of being pregnant, which, you know, was a total shock to me, uh, was very unplanned. Um, I remember that I also had my COVID shot around the same time. So I kind of chalked it off to being symptoms of like the COVID shot and things like that. Uh, I ended up taking a pregnancy test and finding out that I actually was pregnant, went to the doctor, confirmed everything. And at that time, Again, I hadn't talked to him in about a month, so I no longer had his phone number saved. I had to reach out to him on Instagram and ask for him to reach out to me so that I could speak to him. Then I notified him through text message, which was not, in hindsight, not the best way to do it. But again, I don't really know him very well at all. I didn't know what to do, Jock, at that moment, but he was the first person I notified, let him know what was going on told him I needed some time to think about everything. And then over time, for a couple of weeks, I decided that I was going to keep the baby for my own personal reasons. And um, that's really when things kind of took a, a turn for the worst. So we, or I asked to go talk to him in person to let him know that I had decided to keep the baby. He his response pretty much was just like, okay, well, I guess we're having a kid. <laughs> I was like, okay, 
well, and it was clear he just wanted me to leave at that point. Um, he just stood up and was like on his phone and just like ignoring me. And I'm like, okay, well, clearly you need some time to like decompress. Uh, that's fine. I understand. I also let him know if this is something that you don't want to be involved in. This is a strange situation. I understand if you don't want to be a part of this process, I would not hold that against you. I'm okay to, to take this on on my own, but I felt it was my responsibility to tell you so that you have the option one way or the other. It's not ideal either way, but that's why I'm here to tell you, you know, what my decision is. So I guess a few weeks go, go by and we schedule the first, one of the first prenatal appointments for the sonogram uh, to see the baby. He says that he wanted to be at the prenatal appointments. Um, I said that, you know, that's fine. I, at the time, was a little uncomfortable with it because they're, when you're pregnant, those are your appointments. It's for the baby, but you're pregnant. You're, it's your doctor, your body. And it was strange because I didn't really know him. I had to like undress in front of him and um, he was there for everything. So I had no privacy whatsoever. And he came to the first one and was pretty quiet. He didn't really talk to anyone and that was fine. So I was like, you know what, if he's just here because he wants to see the process, I understand. We went to lunch shortly after that. And he let me know that he was dating somebody. I, I mean, it was a bit of a shock, but it wasn't like an emotional reaction really because I wasn't like connected to him in a relationship way. It, we had never dated or been through a breakup but I felt like it was very soon. It was like, I would say a month to a month and a half after I had just found out I was pregnant. So I'm like, you're moving pretty fast through people here. Uh, but his first question really was like, so how are we going to incorporate her in, into the situation? And that kind of took me back because I was thinking, why are we worrying about this right now? Um, I think you and I, need to just figure out this weird situation and how we're going to co-parent and put our kid first. Obviously, if you're going to date somebody like that's up to you, but that's not my responsibility or my concern. Like I don't, eventually I'll meet her. Sure. But I, at that point, I'm like, I'm not sure why we're talking about somebody who just started dating. Yeah, so right here, I would say that this is the first big red flag in a sense that you're dealing with someone who is not playing the same game as you if that's the best way to put it you know they're playing a game you're just trying to live your life and you know you're noticing that they've moved through people quickly here but to just start dating somebody and pretty quickly thinking about like them being like this couple and how the child is going to be involved with this new person who you've never met, you know, being involved as if they're going to be a parent as well. Who knows what's being said on the other side with that person in their relationship, what's going on at all at that point. And it just seems very... Um, it's very concerning. Anyone I think would be very concerned with that language. And you also probably haven't met his family yet. I assume who are going to eventually have to be involved in 
or you would think that they would be involved in this child's life as well, at least to help out. And you'd need to have establish a relationship with them too. Correct. Yeah. That, I mean, that was, I think the first thought in my head when he said that, I'm like, why are we not talking about like your mom or, you know, your, if you have siblings, like, I don't even know these things yet. Um, it just, yeah, it threw me off and just how early they were in their relationship. I, I think I reacted immediately and said, well, I'm not really interested in meeting her right now. That's not really a priority for me. And that really pissed him off. Um, I think he, in a way took that as you need to accept if I'm in in a relationship. And I'm like, I accept that you're in a relationship, but that doesn't mean that that should be my focus right now in the situation that we're in. I really need to get to know you, build some sort of trust and respect and friendship with you because we're going to be raising a living, breathing human being for the rest of her life. And, you know, that, that to me was more important for the, for our relationship or situation, whatever it was to be as strong as possible going into the situation. And I felt like everybody else outside of that comes after that. Um, I don't think he saw it that way. And at, again, I have never had a child. I have never been through anything like this. I didn't know anyone who had been some, through something like this. So I was often questioning myself, like, am I being too harsh? Like, am I having emotional responses to this? And he's right. Like, maybe I should really be thinking about his side more. Um, looking back, it's, I can answer that for myself. No, I was the one who was pregnant. I feel like what I needed at the moment was more important because that ties directly to the health of the child. You know, the stress I was under, the confusion, like, I think I should have been prioritized a little bit more over his girlfriend. And I really wasn't asking for that much. Uh, But those were the thoughts that were going through my mind at the time. Again, I didn't really know how to handle it. But um, moving into more of like the prenatal appointments, they became... Once I told him I wasn't interested in meeting his girlfriend right away, everything really started to change with his like demeanor towards me. He was coming to the prenatal appointments and either would only talk about his girlfriend or how I was going to accommodate their relationship or else he really didn't want to talk about anything else. And it would lead into a bit of an argument sitting in the waiting room because I was like, I don't want to talk about this right now. I'm about to get my blood pressure checked. I guess this is my appointment. I don't. We can talk about this at another time. Um, Then he started talking about getting a paternity test. So when he brought that up the first time, I said, sure, I know 100% that it's yours. But if that's something that you need, I will definitely go do that. You just have to pay for it. I know that it's yours 100%, but we're in a weird situation. That's fine. I'll do it. You set it up. You pay for it. I'll go so that it can ease your mind. It took about six, five or six months back and forth of this for him to end up scheduling it. And he was showing up to all of my prenatal appointments telling me he didn't know if he wanted to move forward until he knew it was his. And every time I would say, I understand that. So schedule the appointment. And he would just put it off and put it off and put it off. So it was either talking about the paternity test or asking my doctors about paternity tests in my appointments or talking about his girlfriend, nothing else. So I asked at that point, I said, you know, this is getting really frustrating for me. Um, I don't really want you at my prenatal appointments anymore. It's making me uncomfortable. I'm getting really upset. I just, 
I want to be able to enjoy this process as much as I can. And you're making it really difficult for me. At that point, he said, well, now you're banning me from this experience. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I'm not banning you from this experience. These are my doctor's appointments that I'm welcoming you to because I want you to be able to experience this too. But you're being really kind of cruel to me um, at these appointments. And it's embarrassing. It's, these are my, my doctors, my, you know, people I have built relationships with. And you're just being um, really rude and, and like mean to me. And I don't, I'm not comfortable with you. Moving past that point. Uh, my family started to plan a baby shower for me and they, like I said, are all in like New England area. So they all planned to come down that October and, and get like an Airbnb, throw a baby shower where everybody could come. We invited him and his family so that they could come and meet everybody. Um, we let him know if he had any friends, which is, <laughs> it was weird, but we were like, we want you to be prepared too. So if you want to add things to the registry, you want to invite friends, have them buy you a stroller, a car seat, like all these things, because we're going to need double of everything. You know, we're not living together. And so then he came back and asked me, well, can I bring my girlfriend? I, and I initially I was like, I'd rather you didn't. I, I have coworkers there, my bosses, my extended family, friends, people that don't know what's going on with us, like they know we're going to co-parent, but you bringing your girlfriend is like a whole other element that I'm going to have to explain these things to a party full of people. And it is embarrassing at the end of the day that this is how things have played out for us, um, or this is how I'm bringing a child into the world. And I just, knowing how I felt about the situation was taken aback, um, but he kept arguing with me over and over. And finally I gave in and I said, if if you absolutely must bring her to be able to show up to this, then you do what you need to do. But I just want you to know that I will feel really disrespected and really uncomfortable if you choose to do so. He brought his family came and he showed up with her. She also brought her friend with her that was not invited and no one else, none of his friends, nothing like that. Both of them just sat in a corner and were very, very rude and cold to everybody, including my mom, who tried to talk to them. Um, I think the only person they really talked to was my dad because he kind of forced it on them. But um, a lot of my friends after were like, we tried to talk to him and he just treated us like we were just a bunch of nobodies. Like he could be, he would rather be anywhere than here right now. And she was rude too. Um, It got to the point that when I was opening my gifts, she started crying. (laughs) So it was just a whole scene. Everybody was like, what is going on out there? Um, She just couldn't handle anymore that it was the, the attention and the focus wasn't on her. And she didn't have that like acceptance coming into the party. I think that she thought she was going to have because everyone knew that she wasn't welcome. Which is crazy. And it's really mind boggling um, just a sense of entitlement or selfishness to go into a situation like this and make it about yourself. It's just, it was that day wasn't about her. If she felt she couldn't handle it. Number one, she should have never been there. Number two, if you couldn't have handled it, you definitely shouldn't have been there. You know, no one really asked anything of you. 
Um, so from there, obviously red flags everywhere for my entire support system. We really went out of our way to try to just be like, let's just see what we can do to make everyone comfortable. Let's really try to start this off on, a, on a, the right foot. We can only see this from our side. We'll try to see it from their side. And after that day, my whole family kind of sat down with me and was like, we're worried. We are worried for you. We are worried for your situation. Um, that's when the talk about, like, we think maybe you should come back home instead of staying down there because you're down there by yourself. And that's just you and him and his family. But we are all up here and you don't know how hard those beginning days and stages are going to be, especially if they're being this weird. Like we can't expect them to really provide you any valuable support or know that they're going to follow through because they're acting really shady and um, very selfish right now. It doesn't seem to be centered around like your needs or what the baby's going to need. And we're all really worried. Um, I started to worry at that point too. But I was pregnant. I had a, like a great job. It was it was a lot for me to just say I'm just going to pick up and leave because these people are a little weird. It was a weird situation. So I was trying to be understanding, but I was definitely worried. That, however, is when the isolation phase of everything started to kind of fall down on me. I explained to him. I tried to be transparent as possible about what I was thinking, what I was feeling. Um, I let him know, I'm starting to worry that you're not prioritizing the baby or my needs, and I am considering possibly going back home for a short period of time. I don't know if I feel comfortable staying down here and taking care of a newborn with no help. Um, and you, we haven't built that trust or relationship. The baby's coming soon, and I don't feel I can depend on you. Um, this seems really divided and not like a supportive situation. And that really threw him over the edge. He started telling me, how dare I threaten him to leave with his child? I mean, I'm still pregnant. <laughs> this is the baby still inside of me growing. I'm not taking a baby anywhere. I'm trying to say, I'm worried about where this is going. I think it would be better for me and the baby in the beginning stages for me to go home and have support. And then we can figure out how we can co-parent from there. At no point was I trying to take the baby away or just disappear and not, he wouldn't know where we were or anything like that. I was just letting him know being a new mom and being so far from your family, most people have that support and I'm not going to have that. And I don't feel like I have your support. And he offered that. He said, you know, let's go to mediation um, so we can understand how each other and how we plan on co-parenting, what our, what our vision is on both sides. Going into that, I thought that it was just a session where we both explained what we thought and we're brainstorming. I, I didn't really understand, but when you go into mediation, it's with a lawyer usually, and it's a neutral lawyer. So we weren't represented by anybody. And what was explained to me was that we were going to express what like a, a framework of what we thought what happened in the, in the first like year of her life and moving forward, which is hard to do in two hours. <laughs> You've never had a kid. You don't know this person. I, I didn't know what to expect at all. Um, and we did that. He did most of the talking. I was really unprepared. And so I sat there and listened to the, what he expected, how he wanted things to go for the first few months. 
Um, he quickly wanted a 50-50 schedule. I knew in the back of my mind, I was like, we're not gonna be able to make that happen if I'm breastfeeding and just um, the gradual transition that's needed from a baby from her mother. And he wasn't hearing me on that. So the mediator tried to step in a couple of times and was just saying things like, let's just start with the basics. So how about in the first three months, you speaking to him was saying, why don't you help her with diapers? Like maybe just provide a few diapers because she's going to be changing a lot more diapers, even if you are coming to take the baby for a couple hours for visitation. And he replied, he said, why would I provide diapers to her at these gas prices when I have to drive to go see my baby? And she was, she did, was like speechless for a minute. And then she said, I'm just trying to think of examples of ways that you can be supportive during the, t- during the postpartum time. Because we didn't have like child support or anything like on the table. We were just going to do things separately. Um, then the mediator started talking about significant others. And he explained that he would expect to bring his girlfriend with him to the initial visits in my home, which immediately I was like, I'm not comfortable with that after what's happened. I don't, I, you're welcome in my home every day if you want to come see the baby, but you can't just bring your girlfriend or whoever you want to, like, I'm going to be breastfeeding. I'm going to be like going off no sleep, messy house, like whatever. I don't need to be entertaining people. That's not, and she tried to explain that too. Like you wouldn't, she said, you wouldn't do that. You, that, that would just be inappropriate. And that made him really upset. He was like, why, why? And she was like, that's a bit naive to expect her to open her house to your girlfriend during that time. We had to take a break after that. He was very mad. He went out, got on the phone, was like pacing around outside, talking to somebody, who knows. Um, We got to the end of the mediation and she let us know, you can sign this paper saying that you guys agree that we sat down here and talked about this today, but it's not a binding agreement until... You have a second lawyer notarize this after the baby's born. You can't do, you can't know, you can't finalize a custody agreement before a child is here. And it has to be notarized by a second person so that both of you agree that this is the plan moving forward. It said in bold letters on the front, non-binding, non-binding legal agreement, basically. So what I thought I was signing was a brainstorming session about expressing what we thought, how we thought things were going to be. My, this is my first like tip to anybody going into these custody things. Do not sign anything that you don't fully agree to or don't fully understand. It doesn't matter what it is. If you're dealing with a narcissistic person, they will try to use your words against you in any way that they can. Even with a document that I signed that in bold says non-binding, non-final has been thrown in my face and used against me to this day. So like, again, do not sign anything until you have someone else look it over, have somebody else just read through it. You don't ever have to sign something just because you feel in the moment that you're being pressured. If you feel pressured or unsure, that's the time to know not to do it. I think that was his first advantage point over me, knowing that I was going to be here alone and and knowing that he had gotten me to sign that document. He really... He was more prepared knowing what that session was than I was going into it. Um, Getting towards the end of the pregnancy, the just 
emotionally abusive like statements became worse through text messages, emails. He was still coming to my appointments telling me that the pregnancy was not about me. It was about the baby. He said that several times. Uh, I think my dad also has an email that has the direct statement to him that said, you know, this pregnancy is not about her. I remember my dad calling me after that and being like, what does this mean? <laughs> you are the only person that's pregnant. I don't understand what he's saying. Um, he also told me that I'm not a single parent. I'm not a single mother. It was just constant like berating that telling me like that I didn't have an importance in this. So he's showing his emotional abuse here. He's verbally saying that you are less than him by saying it's not about you and things just always have to be a fight with him it has to be his way and his girlfriend is also being this very entitled person uh, selfish and they're really making your pregnancy about them and it feels like you are kind of like a surrogate to them and it just kind of feels like they're scheming, you know, to take your child away from you. And this just is just scary. Yeah. Looking back, it was very cold and calculated. Um, I'm both from both of them. Um, I was being teamed up against and I didn't know it. Um, I really went into it open-minded and trying to be fair and equal. And I, at times let what he was saying get in my head and think that I was being overreacting or I was asking too much. But thankfully I have such a supportive like um, support system. And even his own mom would be like, you know, like you need to put your foot down. <laughs> you need to, you deserve these things. So you, so you bring up his mom here. Did you have, when these things started to happen, are you having conversations with them asking like who am i dealing with like where did this person come from what has happened to them yes so i met he his close family is his mother and his sister um that live you know in the same town area as us um i met them while i was pregnant i we both all three of us made a very very a concentrated effort to build a relationship with each other because they it's my child's grandparent and um and her aunt and they live here and I and I value family relationships very much. Um so we got to know each other as well as we could under the circumstances. Eventually over time they met my family, my mom, my dad, my mom and her um would get together whenever my parents would visit. And we, over time, kind of learned some early trauma that went on with him as a kid, which explains a lot of, I think, how he acts now. Um, his father passed away when he was really young. And I think that caused a lot of anger in his life uh, that he still carries to today. I think it was a trauma that went kind of unhealed. And he acted out a lot when he was younger. Um he still visibly deals with anger issues that he doesn't, um, he won't admit to, but it's obvious through the things that have happened. Um, 
I do remember at one point I called his sister while I was pregnant because I was trying to talk to him, but he was so difficult to talk to and was so um, abrasive all the time. I, I remember calling her saying like, can you give me some tips on how to communicate with your brother? I am trying so hard, but it's impossible. And I don't, I don't know what to do. Like, is there something I'm missing? Is there, is there something I can do different that will, that will allow him to open up to me or like to be more amicable with me? I don't, I just am so lost. And she basically was like, he gets really angry and you just have to give him time to cool off. We've gone periods of time, like months at a time after an argument where he kind of flipped out and screamed at me where we didn't talk at all, but then he came around and they held back a lot too, obviously in the beginning, because they don't know what on their side, they don't really know us. They don't know what they're dealing with. They were very reserved, but you could tell there was something wrong. Like something was going on and they were being reserved, but they were kind of like leading to us being like, yes, he has anger issues without saying he has anger issues or yes, he, you know, the things that you are explaining to us, they're like nodding. Like, yes, we agree. We get it. We don't know what to do either. I guess I'll get more into his family later after the baby gets here. Um, so I think right before the baby got here, I sat him down. I had gotten to be closer with his family to the point that they let me know he was creating a story to everyone that I kept the baby because I wanted to be with him. He thought that I wanted to have like a life with him and a relationship and that I kept the baby hoping that that's what would happen. Obviously all fabricated. He knew well, I knew well that that was not the situation, but under his circumstances, that was the best way to explain away why a woman was impregnated at the beginning of his new relationship. So I asked him to come over and talk to me. And this is very, at the very end of my pregnancy. I said, I, I know from people close to you that you've been telling this story. Like this is like, this is what you've said. You're telling people that I kept the baby because I want to be with you. I just, I need this to stop. This is incredibly disrespectful to me. You know, this is not the situation. Whatever hole you've dug yourself into in your new relationship has nothing to do with what happened with you and I. It's it's incredibly disrespectful to me that you're creating this image of me as I'm coming into this situation too, knowing that it's not true. You can't make lies about me to, to make up for what you've done. You have to deal with that on your own. So through that conversation, he really wouldn't look at me. He wouldn't respond. He just was like staring at the wall, like stroking his beard, very angry as I'm saying all of this. And I remember when I was done talking, he said, anything else? And I was like, no, is there anything else that you want to talk about? And he got up and left. That was really the last in-person interaction him and I had before the baby came. Um, Right before she came, I kind of sent out a last email to him and our um, our family that was going to be there to help during the initial stages, just letting them know where I was, what the doctor said about when the baby would be expected, um, giving like my mom's phone number out because when the, in the first days I would be taking care of the baby and if people wanted updates, they could text her if I wasn't responding, just kind of like a plan for the, the very beginning. Um, I put at the very end that I did not want anyone posting public social media posts about the baby unless it was me or him. 
you know, I didn't want to limit him. I felt strongly about it and we were in a weird situation. So I just was like, let me just make this clear right now until things really get figured out. And we all know each other really well. I'd really appreciate it if nobody publicly posted about the situation, about the baby, pictures of the baby information, any of that. I still believe that that any parent should be able to ask that and that be received and not have no pushback. I mean, I don't understand why anyone would, but I made that very clear from the beginning. So the baby came a little early. My, I had planned that my friend was going to come with me, a very close friend of mine for the birth instead of him. Again, him and I just were not on good terms. Um, I wanted to have a really peaceful, like the least amount of stress when I brought the baby into the world as possible. And she was notifying him and his family about the labor and everything going on and when they could come see the baby. Um, the baby came. Um, luckily, I had like, you know, an easy birth for the first one. And um, he was there a few minutes after we were about to get moved into the next room after she was delivered. He came for about an hour. He said maybe two words to me while he was holding the baby and then said, well, I'm going to go get something to eat. Left. Didn't see him again until the next day. But that day I found out that night he went home and threw a house party with his girlfriend for a Christmas party. So he was the one person that was able to stay in the room. Uh, He was able to be there and hold the baby. He could have stayed for as, as many hours as he wanted to and come and go. And he didn't return until the next day to sign the birth certificate, hold her for a few minutes, and then leave again. So at that point, I was kind of really seeing this was about control. I mean, I just can't imagine being a new parent and not wanting to spend every first moment I possibly could, no matter how uncomfortable it was. He had no interest in it. He just held the baby enough so that somebody could get a picture of him. And then he was gone and went and had a party. I still just don't understand that. And another thing that was going on on top of this is that when he did show up for the birth certificate signing, he had COVID and that meant that you and your child had to stay some extra days, get swabs and make sure that you were both healthy. And then eventually your child gets jaundice and this belly ribbon issue And your doctor's office was closed because it was Christmas. And if it wasn't Christmas, you would go to your regular pediatrician and visit them like usual. But you had to go to a pediatric clinic instead because the doctor's office was closed. And this became a huge event in the abuser's mind to just have something ammunition to get angry at you. So what happened from here? He started blowing up my phone saying like, why am I finding out from other people that my child is in the hospital and like just going off? I mean, I'm like, we are not admitted to the hospital. We are at a pediatric newborn check because it's Christmas day. And this is the only place that's open. If, if this were a regular day of the week, we would be at the pediatric office doing a regular newborn checkup, but we didn't have that option because of everything that's happened. So he's just blowing up my phone. I'm trying to deal with the appointment and the baby. Um, We get back in the car. His mom calls us and is like crying. And she's like, I'm so sorry. 
He's freaking out. He's screaming at me. He's yelling at me. I had to hang up the phone on him. I don't know what is going on with him. I let him know you guys were just at an appointment and he's just losing his mind. And I, at that point, I looked at my mom. I was like, I can't deal with this right now. I can't, I can't deal with their, this drama. And I, it's Christmas day. I'm at the hospital with my baby trying to get this appointment done. He's not helping. He can't even see her. I was giving him updates him causing all this conflict and stress wasn't helping me or the baby at that time. I was like, I can't answer these people right now. I, I just can't do this. Um, that's kind of where it all spiraled. Once the baby got here, he started texting me that week, letting me know when he was going to be done with quarantine. Um, and that he was expecting to come get the baby. And I was like, she was just born. Like, we will get to this point, but I'm expecting you to come see her at my home, at least for the first few visits. I'm still establish establishing breastfeeding. I don't even know how this is going to go. This is the middle of winter. <laughs> like she doesn't have immunizations. We don't have a set schedule. We don't agree on this, but you're welcome to come see her here. And then we can talk about it. Like you, if you want to go, he's like, what if I want to take her on a walk? I'm like, we can talk about it when you get here, but if she's about to go down for a nap, then you're not just going to go take her for a walk. If I just got her down to sleep or she needs to eat, there's not like a regimen schedule in those first, even the first month of that, you just go around what the baby needs. He didn't like that. And he's told me if I didn't agree to what he was saying, he was going to take it into his own hands. That's what he said in text message. So I said, okay, again, I am so tired. I'm going off days of no sleep. Uh, I'm just exhausted. and. He wasn't providing any support or help to me and the baby. And he was just really threatening me at that point. So um, the 29th would have been like four days after I got out of the hospital. I was served a TPA on my doorstep claiming parental alienation and that I was using breastfeeding as an excuse to keep his child away from him. And at this point, he wasn't even done on COVID quarantine. So he couldn't even come see the baby if he wanted to. That was so, I don't know. It's hard to put it into words. I definitely cried when I read it because I was like, what else am, is does he expect of me right now? I I don't know what I've done to, to be treated like this. You know, like I've been treated really awfully through my entire pregnancy. I've been, um, everything that I feel or think has been discredited or just like invalidated. And now I'm a new mom. I just gave birth to a child that I've like carried for nine months. Like it's hard work. It's exhausting. It's scary. It's new. Like I don't deserve to have to deal with this, with everything else of all, everything else that I'm taking on. Um, so I had to hire a lawyer. Uh, I had to spend a lot of time figuring out, like, is this going to affect me? Am I, am I going to have to respond to this? I, all of the money that I had saved up for my maternity leave, I had to spend on, uh, a down, like a solidifying a lawyer. <laughs> um, so it just, everything just went really spiraling out of control for me at that point. I was, I just didn't know what to do. And I didn't, I didn't understand why it was happening, I guess. Um, at that time, his family had come for a couple visits with the baby 
but then was told by him that they could no longer speak to me or come see the baby. So my mom had gone home at that point. I was here alone after they had promised me through my pregnancy that they were going to come help me with the baby so that I could sleep or just have some sort of support. And he took that away as soon as he could. Um, His lawyer never told him that. As far as we know, I think we just, he just made that up to have a control. He didn't want them seeing, hearing or seeing my side. He just wanted them on his side. Um, So the three months of maternity leave, I spent most of the time by myself. My mom came down as much as she could, um, but it was very isolating, very scary, very exhausting. Looking back, like I should have gone home. I didn't. I stayed here at at my own expense to make things more convenient and comfortable for him to give him access to his child, to make sure that to facilitate that um, relationship, because I, I think it's important. And I was just treated so horribly um, for all the things that I sacrificed to make that happen. And to be told that I was using parental alienation (laughs) against him after everything that I had sacrificed and done was just a slap in the face. It, again, was just, it was like I was being gaslighted for what I was going through. Like the, the emotional abuse, the, the reason why I didn't trust him or the reasons I was reacting in the way that I was in such a fragile and like scary time was just being thrown back in my face as if I was being like the abuser. Like I was abusing him by keeping his child away from him, even though he had full access to her. So while you're dealing with this, this stuff in court, and since the birth of your child, since everything has been going on over those few months, you know, specifically with the girlfriend here, things get scary and it has to do with social media and your child. So uh, tell us what happens here. So the social media posts definitely the scariest part of this whole thing. Um, I did not want the baby posted on social media. Um, that obviously was not listened to. Um, I think about a week and a half after the baby was born, his girlfriend publicly took to Instagram and TikTok and made her own birth announcement for the baby. She described in the beginning that our child was conceived from a brief encounter. Um, that the that this was her journey to motherhood and that she was a stepmom from birth. In the post, she talked about how she had given the child her own name of Joy. (laughs) And you could see from her posts after that, that she had a, a necklace created with that name that she was wearing around constantly. Um, there was people asking, you know, what's the baby's name? And she would reply, Joy. Like, I call her Joy. (laughs) It's not the baby's name. Um, She posted, like, Instagram stories encouraging people to ask her about the situation. Um, It was just a lot that it was, like, such a long description of the birth announcement that went into the comments and everything. And what was more frustrating for me was him and I really didn't have a birth announcement over social media of our own. So it was like, why are you posting a social media birth announcement for anyone, first of all? Second, for a woman you don't know, 
And this is not your journey to motherhood. You're not a mom. You're not, you didn't just carry a child for nine months and you're not having sleepless nights taking care of this baby. You don't have a responsibility to this child for the rest of its life. This is not your journey to motherhood. Uh, you're not even a stepmom. You're just dating a guy who's having a baby with somebody else. It was, I think like I'm an out of body experience when I was reading it first. I was like, this cannot be about the baby I just had. Um, is this really about me? And then it just turned into like anger and rage. Like, how dare you? You know, I, why you're exposing like really um, embarrassing information about me. Who, who goes on the internet and says the terms of like the conception of someone's child under those circumstances? I had never revealed that to anybody other than the people close to me um, or renaming the child. I mean, it was just all, I believe, her way of saying, you didn't accept me the way that I wanted you to in the beginning. And so I'm letting you know I'm going to do whatever I want whenever I want. And this is my kid too, which is terrifying. I mean, I've never seen anything like that besides maybe in like a lifetime movie or something, but, um, it's continued on. We, you know, we reached out, we're like, Hey, this is inappropriate. My lawyer reached out and was like, we've already asked not to do this. Please don't like nicest way possible. I didn't say anything. I just let my lawyer deal with it. Um, I think Instagram eventually took a post down. We had enough people reported it because it was so creepy and so just like out of this world that people close to me and other people were like, we're not having this. Um, the, then she started up again in another business. So she's like a marketer, I think. And she does, she runs a business or she helps run a business page that has like memory boxes and things. And she goes on there and makes content about our child. So she says that she refers to my daughter or as a new mom, I do this, this, and this, or I cherish these memories with my, my daughter as a new mom, saving these things for her as she gets older. And these things have like my child's last name on them, her, her room, her clothes, her stuff. So it's just, she tiptoes around, not exactly saying like my child's first name or using her image directly but it's just taunting as much as possible and I do actually think she believes that this is her baby (laughs) in a way um in a weird messed up way so this is really scary to me and you're continuously dealing with this really frightening behavior and you know, you're having to deal with that, but at the same time, you have to get back to, you know, tend, tending to the other things that are going on, which is legal agreements and, and court, and hopefully getting those things settled as much as possible to eventually deal with that other types of behavior that are going on. So walk us through where you are now when it comes to the legal aspects of things. We started a temporary order um, together that the judge determined, um, currently we're out still over a year later on the same order. Um, the courts are backed up from COVID. It just takes a long time, more important, um, court cases like domestic violence cases and emergency orders. They always come first naturally. So 
it's been a while, a long time waiting for us to have like our trial date. We've been trying to work through settlements and things like that. Um, but ultimately what's going to happen is we're going to end up in 50, 50. I don't believe that that is the best thing for our child. She's so young. She's not even two years old. We do not communicate. We, um, he shows his anger and aggression towards me. Anytime he's around me in front of her, it's just really uncomfortable and it's not fair to her. I think that we need to find a way to be co-parents. If that's what we're going to do, if we're both asking for a responsibility of 50-50 co-parenting, then we need to act like it and put ourselves first. And I have yet to see him really put her before his own interest. Everything is what's com comfortable and convenient for him. So you're now working with someone who is counter-parenting against you. This person is volatile. And also within this time, he has stopped talking to his own family as well. And you have this person's girlfriend who is pretending like sh that she is the mom of your child, even changing your child's name. And I know I've said it before, but you know that's really scary to me. So how are you feeling when you have to hand your child over to them at this point? It's, it is scary. Like you said, it's just terrifying every time because I want to believe, I want to believe that they have her best interest. I want to believe that they do show her love and care for her. And I think that that happens um, on a surface level, but I think that their intentions of uh, retaliation against me or proving their own point or really just making things the way that they want them to be are always going to come before her. It's anytime I've kind of brought up, hey, I am worried about this or this is concerning to me. Um, and I feel like you're making choices that are about your comfort and your convenience and not really about her or about your animosity towards me. And it's concerning me. His, his response is children are resilient <laughs> to me. Like that's scary too. It's like, why as parents, should we be forcing a toddler to be resilient for us to make us comfortable and convenient when our jobs are the are to do that for them like we come after that um there's going to be so many things that happen in her life that we can't control things that she's going to have to be resilient for and yes she'll be resilient for those but she shouldn't have to be resilient because she has an unstable parent or <laughs> like because you just don't want to deal with the responsibilities of appropriate co-parenting that's not things that she has to be resilient for. And that response always blows my mind. Um, it just shows that that immediately shows like she'll get over it. She's what I want and what I need comes before this. It's hard parenting with somebody like that. And if you had any words of wisdom for everyone listening, what would they be? Um, first, find therapy. Just anyone. It doesn't matter how much, how often. A little bit is is better than nothing. Small words of like affirmation that are given to you by some by a neutral party or by a therapist can really just get you through the day or the week. Like someone just saying like you're doing great. Or in my situation, the things that are happening to you and the things that these people are doing to you are not normal. 
and you're doing the best you can with the situation. Hearing that over and over again sometimes is just like what you need. So if you have access to therapy, get it, use what you can, whether it's like group therapy or anything that you can find. Um, the other one, the main thing I've learned from this is the abusive behavior is a lot of baiting when it comes to co-parenting and in a court case. Everybody's documenting everything that everyone says and does to try to prove that they are the better parent or the good parent. You do not have to respond immediately and you don't have to react immediately either. If something is upsetting to you or you're not sure how to respond to something, you don't owe it to them to have to respond immediately or within a certain time. Often they're baiting you for an emotional response that they're trying to use against you. So take the time to use your support system, talk through what you're thinking, talk through your responses, and don't let them drag you down to their level because that's what they're trying to do is to get you to act the way they do to deflect away from their behavior. Well, Fuchsia, I really want to thank you for being here and sharing your story of post-childbirth abuse, you know, the difficulty of parenting with someone who is entitled, selfish, raging, and just making everything difficult for you no matter what is going on. And your words today are validating for so many people, and you helped a lot of people today. So I just really want to thank you uh, for being here uh, with us today and, and sharing your story. Thank you. And I know, like I said, it's a strange story, but there's got to be parts that help somebody, and I hope it does. Well, thank you once again, Future, for being here. And if you want to be a guest like Future was today, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. There you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button. And please do send it in the format that we ask for. Also, at our website, we have a safe social network. So if you need support, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Support Group. When you click on that button, it takes you to our very own safe social network. And inside, you'll find that we have Zoom meetings every Wednesday night, Thursday afternoons, and Saturday nights. We have forum boards for you to post on to get the validation that you need from survivors just like you. And you can also make great friends on there as well. So if you need support, join our support group today. And that is it for our show today. So for myself and Fuchsia, we hope you have a good night.